in Rochester, Michigan. A girl was born into a troubled home. And that trouble followed her. Eileen, what are you doing, sis? What up, party people? This is Day. <laughs> what? I haven't done that in such a long time. Like, I, I haven't made a fool of myself in the beginning of this intro for such a long time. I don't know if you were going for, like, sex phone hopper. I don't know what or, happened. Or what, what you have going on, but that is... Okay. We're here. I haven't done it in a long time. We're here now. Welcome back. This is episode 38. Of what so, did you do? Yes. Did I say I'm Charnel? If not, I'm Charnel. No, you were taken aback by my foolishness. Yeah. We're back. And I didn't lie. I said we'd be back in a week. And guess what? We're here. And we'll be back the next week. Yeah. And then we'll be off for a week and then come yes, back I after to, that. To see you so and often. I think after that, it'll Are be we? right before Crime Con. It'll be like the week before Crime okay, Con. Okay, so that's perfect. And that'll give us a time to like figure it out. Cri- oh, we- wait. Hmm. No, I think my I think my math is right. We'll talk about it off mic. Oh, <laughs> quite possibly. We gotta figure that out. <laughs> we'll make it work anyway. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, you have anything to say before we get into this housekeeping stuff? Yeah, I just wanted to out myself right now. Um, so we have a listener. Her name is Tima, and she like we just followed her on Instagram, and I wanted to tell her on air because here I am. Her name is Tima Fudge. She's on. Uh, like I said, on Instagram. Okay. She knows my cousin. <laughs> she like went to the school next to my cousin in Massachusetts. So I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. And I was like, I'm going to message her. And then I was like, no, I'm going to tell her on air because that's what I do. So Tima, you could like DM me or I'll DM you when I remember and we could, we could talk. One degree of separation. Yay. Do you have anything for us? What did, what did you do? Nothing. That's it. Yeah, I don't. I didn't have anything to announce. Sorry, guys. Um, we have a PO box. I was looking for the information off the top of my head, but oh. I'll just put it in the show notes. If you guys ever want to like send us drawings of of something, yeah, or, I want pictures of me. Whoever like, can characterize my like chest very well gets a. That's not know. weird at all. Whoever I, can draw my boobs accurately. I said what I said. Um, I'm sta- I stand but no, by I my kinda, you know what? It's just kind of what I what I really really like about being able to reach so many different people really is everyone has different uh like delicacies and things where they're from so if there are weird candies that you have like send me one of them you would look for food like i'm so sick of you right now i don't know what you're saying i don't know if that's supposed to be shade or not but i'm offended Um, (laughs) be offended other than that we have some housekeeping (laughs) um patreon go check it out um like i said i was late putting everyone's stickers in the mail but they are in the mail and i'm not ashamed to say that i was late it's what it is one of us um is 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 <laughs> is not functional always recently <laughs> um but they're there silas along with your t-shirt everything's on the way and silas you should get yours soon because he lives like 25 minutes from us right. i could have dropped it off right. <laughs> we should like go do something one day get him uh, silas have you ever I, I think i suggested that to him i think i uh via email when he when i realized hey man like this is you and the crew and i've been emailing you uh, I think I suggested, like, let's hang out. But I think he was like, oh, you know, my anxiety. Uh-huh. I can't do that. But I was like, it's cool, fam. I know what it's like. I'm just super friendly. But other than that, check that out. Uh, like, so the P.O. Box. Check out the What Did You Crew page. Um, 
subscribe, rate, review, um, all that fun stuff. I never say that in the beginning of episodes because we're late. Crime Con's coming up yeah. in a month. In a month. Mm-hmm. WDYD19. Is our code to get 10% off standard badges. Even if you're not going to the con, if you if you live in the NOLA area or close enough that you don't mind driving, I'm going to be there in the 5th through the 9th. So Come grab drinks. Yeah, come hang out. Come eat food with us. I cannot wait to eat so much Cajun... Bayesian fun. I feel like Bayesian's a racial slur. I'm not. I shouldn't say. You leaving on the night? Yeah, I'm leaving that Sunday. I I didn't ask you. (laughs) Um, But other than that, let's get into this episode. Yes. Because. I mean, we want to give you things, so we're giving you a two-parter, you guys. Yeah, um, we're givers. We're we, we like to give. And if you read the the title of this episode, you know exactly what bright ray of sunshine we're covering this week. I feel like. People stop talking about her. I so agree. Bring it up, Miss Eileen Warnos. I think a lot of you, Eileen Carroll. I think a lot. Oh, of- you just had to one up me and come through with the middle name. I think a lot of people stop talking to her specifically because of oversaturation. Right. There was a the whole monster thing, and she got a little bit too much attention. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we all just faded out. Yeah. And Charlize Theron was right. I mean, like an amazing transformation. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how people get like re- awards for like looking. Less than the standard. A, I think it was portrayal more than. I, guess. I mean, makeup played a role, right? I mean, but I also go artist. I stand for Charlize. She should have been Captain Marvel, but who's gonna say? <laughs> uh, she looks the part. But how about? Um, I know I usually paint a picture, but how about you lead us in to all of this into the world of Eileen Carol Warnos? I got no pictures, but what I do have are two people that fell in love with a, a very mm-hmm. young age. I mean, enough to get married. So I'm talking about her oh, mother, <laughs> her Finnish American mother, Diane Warnos, and who was 15 when she met Leo Dale Pittman, who was 16 at the time. And I mean, they were in a relationship. I, they were in. What are you when you're 14 and you're 16? Like, what is that? Is that love? I don't know. I believe that people I mean, can experience love. Right. I mean. Like transformative, functional, substantive love? Well, Diane and Leo, they were in a relationship. It was volatile, but they decided to tie the knot and get married. Um, so they did that on June 3rd, 1954, despite their problems. And despite her parents' objection, Diane's parents were not about it. They didn't want her to be with Leo at all. Together, they had their first son. His name was Keith. He was born March 14th, 1955. So that was a year later. They had a child. So she must have gotten pregnant pretty early on. Yeah. Just dawning on me. So pretty early <laughs> on, 14-year-old uh, Diane had a first child. So, I mean, I cannot imagine having a kid at 14 whatsoever. There's a story I could tell you. Not mine. I didn't have a kid <laughs> at 14. But I, couldn't. I had classmates in middle school and freshman year of high school who had had kids and at 14 yeah younger oh. i think she was 13 when she had her first one i want to say i had stopped and this is sheltered life uh, well that and plus like i had a younger sister so you're kind of obligated to play with the barbie dolls and dolls longer to mm. appease your siblings so i had just maybe stop playing with dolls at 14 <laughs> <laughs> so serious she's not that much younger than you four years it's substantial Fourteen, I guess that makes right, sense. Right, like I'm still playing with her, but at that time, like she'll tell you, she felt like I abandoned her. But I didn't go off and have another kid, so <laughs> another or a kid. kid, a kid. All right, <laughs> secrets are out. <laughs> well, 
you know, Leo was the bad boy of town. And that's part of the reason why Diane's uh, parents weren't about it. And he was arrested, actually, for a lot of petty crimes, a lot of theft. Um, to get out of the first charges in those couple of years, he actually enlisted in, in the army. That's how they, uh, it's that's how he avoided it. It was, what year was this? The 50s. So, um, <laughs> it, was the 50s. <laughs> it was the 50s. A lot of amazing things happened in the 50s, just so you know. But shortly after, though, what wasn't amazing is two years after two years of marriage, Diane divorced, uh, Leo, uh, and she was a couple months pregnant with her next kid. Yeah, and I want to paint a little bit of a picture. See, so, yeah, I'm late, but here we are. Um, <laughs> about the kind of person that Leo was. And I had read that he was known for his streaks of violence and his psychopathic behavior. Um, and this might, this is, it might be hearsay, but it's more so neighbors reports, uh, that he would try and some, at times succeed to tie two cats together and throw them over a clothesline and watch them fight each other. So, like, that's the type of person <laughs> he was. I, didn't read that, but that's a it's lot. Intense. That's it. That is yeah. intense. And so, like, that's the kind of person she had linked up with, right? Not to mention his temper. Not to mention the anger. Right. They were volatiles from the very beginning, even before um, they got married. Right. I would. I would say mostly him. Right. I feel like there had to be some sort of coercion involved to get her maybe fearful to say no to him. Maybe you know you get linked up too long. Right. We could talk about it. But she was uh, pregnant with her daughter when she filed, and uh, she had her two months later. Ooh. Ooh, little precious Eileen Warnos, a.k.a. Eileen Karen, Carol Pittman. <laughs> Karen. Carol. She looks like a Karen, to be honest. Mm, or looked. Maybe. But she had her in Rochester, Michigan in February 29th, 1956. So she was only like a year and change younger than her brother? Uh, not even. I think... I think months? she was like 11 months younger. I think he was born in March All right. of 55. Remember that for later, folks. Remember that for later. <laughs> so Diane definitely was not ready for her role of motherhood, especially, you know, since she filed divorce from Leo, this meant she was going to be a single mom. And instead of, you know, taking on a task, especially at 16 years old, she decided to abandon uh, both her kids to her parents. And they were her, her parents, I suppose. Um, so you're probably wondering, like, what happened to Leo? Because he's still one of their, you know, we knew he enlisted. He had some crime stuff. Well, Leo, at this point, uh, ended up going to jail for raping a seven-year-old girl. Um, there were a, a lot of reports saying that he had, like, paranoid schizophrenia, and he was actually suffering from mental health stuff as yeah. well. So, I mean, like I said, we don't want to criminalize mental health because... That's not a thing, but it explains some of the, you know, behaviors he had. Yeah, untreated trying, mental health. Right. Yeah. And trying to be functional and being that young and that type of responsibility. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You got to catch some things before before it's way too late. But yeah. So Eileen and Keith were uh, given over to the care of their maternal grandparents, Laura and mm-hmm. Britta Warnos. Mm-hmm. Fun names. Uh, and they actually legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18th, 1960. Uh, and yeah, they never actually disclosed yeah. to Keith and, and Eileen that they were not their actual parents. Right. So they thought that was mom and dad. Yeah. You got to remember how young all this transition happened. Right. And oh, yeah. there's so many things that happened formatively and developmentally right. in these early years where right. all this changed. Mom, mom doesn't look the same. Mom doesn't sound the same. You know, so for just Leo and Diane, if during this time, like Diane was going through any trauma 
or abuse in the hands of Leo, that could mean, you know, problem with her fetuses. That could mean, you know, it changes your brain and alters your brain when the mom of your children is going through abuse. So that alone could start changing stuff in people's head. I agree. A fetus, you know, development, I could just say. Yeah. And Eileen actually didn't find out her true parentage until she was 12 years old. Right. Um, which is information that really didn't help an already troublesome situation with no, her. No. Uh, only because Lori, her grandfather, mm-hmm. was pretty damn ab- uh, abusive. I can't yeah, um, he would beat the kids. He was an uh, alcoholic. To, uh, I believe his, her grandmother was an alcoholic yeah, as well. So they they are both alcoholics. very verbally abusive. Right. Um, and they would be they would uh, make the kids take off their clothes and actually beat them after they would remove the clothing. So um, there is also reports to have said, not all the things I've looked up said this, I feel like some places skimmed it, but I'm inclined to believe this actually happened, that the sexual assault happened between grandfather and Eileen. Yeah, and a lot of the accounts come from Eileen. Right. Um, And It makes sense for what happens to her later on. Yeah, absolutely. And given... And the likelihood mm-hmm. of abuse in a home where you, of sexual abuse in a home where you're already physically abusive, right. and if you're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. the, uh, what's the name of the neurotransmitter that? Oh, man, I just wrote it down the other day. Homework, um, grad school, life. <laughs> but it makes you uninhibited a lot. It makes you a lot un- more uninhibited. And if you have this idea of control or power that you're exerting through this physical abuse, right. um, a way to continue to further showcase that. Is to sexually dominate somebody, right? Um, something in the most intimate parts and special parts of themselves. So I could see that happening. I'm not. There's no real evidence of it because it wasn't something that was turned over to police. There were no. Um, I'm assuming. Well, I'm not sure. I read well, one one place that there were uh, some police visits, right? But it's the '60s, right? So. I mean, and and like family and friends, they they. Whatever documentary I watched definitely didn't speak to it. But again, it's just super believable for what happened next. Because what happens next is at the age of 10, her and her brother start having a strange relationship where it becomes incestuous. Yeah. So I, I, it's really hard to navigate that specifically because it means one of them had to have been sexualized. Right. At, and, a, young at age. a very young age. And I'm going. I'm going to get, I'm going to attribute it to the the sexual abuse. Like right. You had to understand what sex was, the power that it had, what it meant, or what you've been told it, that it means. You had to be informed that having a relationship like that with family members is, is okay. Yeah, is not inappropriate. Right. So there's a lot of things that started happening with this, and even though there's again, there's no firm. No. Uh, st- well, one of the neighborhood boys actually witnessed it, and he was in the documentary that I watched. Oh. Yeah. Like, one of his friends witnessed them having a sexual relationship together, which would mean, yes, he was in the room while this was happening. I mean, their relationship was very strange. They would have, like, a tempestuous love-hate relationship, her and her brother, almost like a reminiscent of, like, a... tempestuous. <laughs> the only <laughs> word I know how to pronounce this episode <laughs> correctly. I get one. Um, but no, like, their relationship was kind of, like, like boyfriend-girlfriend. Yeah. But, like, they had this weird love-hate relationship. And I on. think what what really is dangerous about this, and we'll move on, because I know people are like, why are you guys not talking about this? Because but it's important. It's Because it, because <laughs> it, it, really it applies. Informs, it really informs what happens <laughs> later in Eileen's. Yeah. Is that a lot of times we... I, I mentioned it a little bit uh, in other... Mm-hmm in other cases about how important sibling relationships are because they're typically the longest relationships you're going to have in your life. 
not it's not your best friends you meet when you're 12 it's your siblings who are there when you're born right and they help feed you and clothe you and they teach you things and they help socialize you like those are the people you're going to carry through your weddings and your divorces and your parents deaths like those are the relationships that are going to matter and so the way those, the way those are shaped so young are going to really inform in the way you navigate them in the future um and we'll see that later on exactly how she does that right um but proof of more further proof of the sexualization comes uh, especially when it comes to sex for profit, sex for service, sex for mm-hmm. for um tra- or transactional sex in any way, because uh, when she was 11 years old, she t- she told uh, documentators, uh, reporters, anyone who would listen that she was having sex or performing sex acts with boys in school mm-hmm. in exchange for food, uh, cigarettes, money, cigarettes, yeah, like at 11, at 11. So she understood again, understanding the power that sex right. has. And utilizing it at such a young age is terrifying. So one of the things that, and we see this with children with attachment issues, which is what I'm guessing that Eileen suffered through as well, is she had a a volatile temper, even at this age. She Mm. was volatile. So it made it very difficult for her to get along with any like children at school. She was not popular. She didn't have that many friends. Her Her brother was able to make some friends and some connections, but not her at all. And so when she started doing this, it gave her attention it gave her you know means to an end also because she was using sex to get things but i mean she became popular but in you know a negative way like she became everyone knew that she would have sex for different stuff but you know this temper she had was there from this point and what i was saying is when you see a child who has attachment issues maybe was neglected maybe didn't have that care in the formative years infancy and all that stuff you tend to see behavioral issues and you know unable to it's like the first people who inform you on how to cope and deal with things are parents you cry yeah you cry as a child they you know hold you rock you until you stop when you don't have that you don't know how to self-soothe you don't know how to you know that turns into your self-soothing behaviors and so when eileen would get mad it was like zero to a hundred and she wouldn't be able to control it yeah and And that was something she demonstrated at that age and that's why kids were like whoa so yeah total transparency here is like so since uh her story not so much in all the details, very similar to my upbringing. Right. And so one of the things that I've had to navigate for the, my 29, almost 30 years of life is PTSD. Right. And after being, again, being sexualized at a young age traumatically, right, um, and having to navigate that, feeling unsafe in a place that you're, you're supposed, supposed to, to feel safe yeah. and acting out in this way. Because once you once you have these feelings of life for short and future, uh, hypervigilance when your body overreacts to stimuli yes. and things like that, um, I think a lot of the time, yeah. So mm-hmm. it it breeds high risk behavior, right? And so that's I think that's what we're seeing here is that she understands the risks right. of this. She she knows right. that it's not okay, but it's already been normalized. It's and normalized, so and it brings her it. some type of human contact. You yeah, you know what I'm saying. Even in a negative way, she got some human contact because I mean, she said she wasn't popular. She knew she wasn't popular, and this made her known. Even though it was not well or positively, you know, for something positive, it made her known. And um, they speak to it. So um, in the 1970s, 70s, at age 13, she becomes pregnant. Um, so it's said that the person who got her pregnant was one of the men in the neighborhood, but also a friend to her grandfather. Right. So, yeah, that she was raped by this man. Yes. Um. And there was a there's a point in time too where there was some speculation that 
her brother may have been the father yeah, of the baby. I, I, There's listen, so many I, things I, happening in this I, household right. that if I it was it was her brother's, to be honest, I think. I mean, but why would you even? I think they couldn't really track it unless they do like you know they didn't have DNA they couldn't yeah like how do you know if there's so and she was it's very early stages of right and she was actively having sex, sex. with a, a lot of people yeah. so it could have been one of the schoolboys you don't know but it, it could have been it also depends on what time like when and when 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 what age she matured right sexually so all right. these things that happen mm-hmm. um and like in the same way that they treated a lot of teen pregnancies in the <laughs> 70s so that they really sent her to a home for unwed mothers i was like what <laughs> which i yeah I it's totally so forgot those exist until like somebody told tell you like <laughs> i read i was like oh yeah they had this at one point it's insane and so on March 23rd, 1971, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy uh, who was immediately taken away and given up for adoption. So she carried this baby to term again. Right. And I and hearing mothers talk about what it's like to love someone before you even meet them and to have these attachment issues, to give birth and to know that as soon as you give birth, this baby is not going to be yours. So here's the thing about Eileen, though. It was said that um, it wasn't... Like, she knew she couldn't be a mother. Like, she was aware that that wasn't something that she wanted. But it was, like, there was no... that What she, like, held on to and what really hurt her was, like, she was almost not giving a choice. Like, yeah. this is happening. And she didn't get to hold the baby. She didn't get to yeah. do anything. Taken away. Taken away immediately. And she's like, I, I didn't want to be a mom, which is what she said. Like, I did not... She, she wasn't ready for this. But the way it was done so abruptly taken away just sent she didn't really have a say in anything she couldn't even say no they already said no for her so in a space where again she feels so out of control once again something that has to do with her own body Mm -hmm. again uh it's it's the kind of what's the word usurping of autonomy right like she doesn't get to control herself ever at all no again even these most intimate parts of herself right and and sometimes if that is the case you see it be flipped and it's weaponized, right? right? So it's, so again, all these things are informing this. And so after she gives birth to her son, uh, Eileen ends up dropping out. Yeah, she drops out of school. A lot of things, like a domino effect happened. Her grandmother right. dies of right. liver, liver failure. failure. Which alcoholism. Right. Right. And her grandfather, Lori, kicks her and her brother out of the home. Uh, and what essentially, in nowadays, we call disruptive adoption. Like, you want you, it's actually a form of, in Connecticut, it's a form of neglect. Like, right. if you do that, you're never allowed, they could press charge and you're also never allowed to adopt or foster again. Right. Um, so they both became wards of the court for a short time until Eileen decided that she didn't want to be passed between any homes, any, any shelters, and she runs away. Right. She's began living in the woods. Um, the early stages of this, I know her brother was like living with friends, kind yeah. of couch sur- surfing. Um, but she, you know, began to live in the woods and kind of uh, prostituting herself to um, make ends meet. But it's funny because we talk about the transient lifestyle. Like she was definitely one living that transient lifestyle back then. Um, and I don't think it was maybe unless you're in sex work. You lived that transient lifestyle, but I didn't think it was so common back then for women to live such a transient lifestyle as oh, she did. Oh, 100%. Really? Because I hear, yeah. like, in the 70s, it was a lot of men. I feel like a lot of men would be, like, in places all over. Because we covered a lot of cases that, like... Yeah, men moved because it because privilege. But also, <laughs> they could just do what they wanted. But 
a lot of women were displaced in the 70s, whether it be because of things like this and very loose and not very strict laws about parenting. And we talk about, we go down to Texas, how many kids went away to work? Right. Oh, like, yeah. well, it, like, but it's it still met boys. boys and girls. Yeah, you know, it, it happens. Girls go away and they work service jobs, like food service at ports, at restaurants and things like that. Um, so it, it's, 70s were just a weird time where people were allowed to kind of just be. 70s. It's also wild. right after the free love kind of freewheeling yeah. kind of moments. And so, yeah, I mean, Eileen was in this weird space where she didn't really need. Mm-hmm. To be supervised anymore in her head. But also, like, that life, that transient lifestyle for someone who's not fully developed yet and has been, again, traumatized and trying to walk through that on her own, that's not, you can't sustain that. It's not sustainable. And you'll see, you'll see that start to break down as we go. But we also see her kind of like turn to a life of, uh, sex work and petty crimes and hitchhiking. Right. Uh, hitchhikes around the country and, as funny as that, she ends up everywhere. Yeah, and when I was trying to track this, because this is where the crimes begin for her, the real heavy crimes for her. But she's like all over the place. Yeah, and she ends up in Colorado. Sorry, California. <laughs> um, and she gets arrested for driving under the influence, mm-hmm. uh, disorderly conduct, and firing a twenty-two caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She was on her real GTA stuff. <laughs> And she was later charged with failure to appear when she skipped town before her trial. So she's got this. The criminality was already there, right? And in the likelihood, in the in uh, the <laughs> just the just the space she walked in and lived in. So yeah, it just makes sense that this is this could be where she ends up, especially getting no supervision. Um, all the relationships she had, the ones that are super inappropriate, one where morality is very uh, ambiguous. And so if you meet other adults where that's truth, you're gonna take that as real life mentorship right like this is what i was taught before so this has to be right right and at this time just so you guys know where we are in her age time she's 18 still very young yeah still super young still a baby right so yeah in 1976 a 20 year old eileen would find herself in daytona beach florida um it's also important to include that she was having a bit of a hellish year already this far as outside of her own criminality um, but her grandfather actually committed suicide earlier in the year. And I was trying to put myself in the shoes of this, again, this kind of volatile 20 year old who now has to, wants, probably wants to grieve her grandfather, but is also kind of angry at him and has, after never healing from what he had made her, uh, go through as a child mm-hmm. and trying to wrestle with that. Um, and so with no real family connections and no friends, I, she kind of just jumps from short-lived relationship to short-lived relationship, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while still robbing and stealing and engaging in some sex work, still out here again, getting that wild life. Um, but it's not sustainable and it's not conducive to longevity, right? It's right. just not, you're not going to live a long time doing these things typically. Right. Um, and not, not to mention her drinking, like, let's not forget that now at this point she is drinking heavily and i'm going to i was trying to find i'm going to say that she's doing other things too. right right 100 especially if you're in sex work yeah. people offering you things kind numbing. Of numbing you yeah see we're on the same page we've see, done this, this too many this. times uh, um but with all this chaos you know her actions next didn't come as a surprise to me uh specifically but she did meet a 69 year old yacht club <laughs> president oh boy yeah lewis fell maybe she was looking for stability you know, maybe a comfortable life, maybe... This this was her shot. This was it. This was it. I, I actually think she could have kept going with this. He was older. 
Right. I think she might have mm-hmm. been looking for that or she was looking for like a father-ish figure, maybe looking oh, for yeah. someone to who is not going to abuse her, not going to uh, objectify, utilize her as a tool. Well, that's hella confusing, though. If you're getting married, I'm assuming there's sex involved. So, Well, there's nothing. Well, that's saying that there's a difference between being used for sex and sex being a form of intimacy right right right. no this is sex being a form of intimacy but it's weird that you're looking for a father figure and somebody you're intimate an intimate yeah partner. you never know people do True, it all the it time. happens all they, the time say you married your mother you married your father like it, but <laughs> people do it a lot because you look for something that's familiar and a lot of people are like man i want to marry a woman just like my mother and i've child. never tried to marry anyone who's like any parental nope, figure in my life i will never do it yeah. uh, <laughs> But yeah, and it's a bit of a whirlwind moment romance in this. And so uh, Lewis isn't truly aware of Eileen's traumatic and violent history or what she's capable of or what she's still doing. I mean, they married quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's those secrets that keep you and make you sick. So if you're holding that in, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can hold in before it starts to spill over. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eileen couldn't stay in that straight and arrow too long. Not at all. Uh, those old demons reared their ugly heads here and her drinking and partying persisted. She got into fights at local bars. And ended up doing some time for assault. Right. And not just that. She could have literally lived a lavish life by a pole somewhere. Yeah, but not. It's it's so weird because you don't. Un- mm-hmm. Like materialistic things don't register for you because you've lived so long with so little and just enough. You're okay and so comfortable with that transience. Like just having enough to move to the next day. And right, the right, next right. Day. And meeting someone who's like, oh, I'm just a lover. I've, I don't have to think about paying my rent. I don't know why rich people sound like that. I don't that. I know. You gave but them a whole voice. <laughs> I'm just living my best life. You know, I've got my American Express card. So that's what I hear when well, I think of rich you people. You sound like you have a house. Uh, you probably did have a house. You know what? You know what? My house is three stories. <laughs> I can't say to you. Just so you know, because yours wasn't. So there is. <laughs> you did, I, yo, you did say my mom because it's not my house. Well, if I was your mother. No. <laughs> But yeah, so not only did she do time for assault, during a disagreement, she took 69-year-old Lewis's cane and proceeded to beat him with it at one point. Right. I can remember she was very volatile. Like, this is her persona. She was turned. She was a scrapper. It didn't didn't take much. And it kind of reminds me of of IED, like intermittent explosive disorder. It reminds me because that's something I I had to deal with as a kid. And if you don't get therapy and... And treatment it goes and right into like, adulthood. It'll go and it become and it puts you in dangerous positions. Like aggression just becomes your norm, right? And I, I think it was her norm. Yeah, yeah. Aggression is you know the intent to do physical or psychological harm, right? And so like if that's where you go to, the minute someone triggers you, as soon as anyone, it, she, they said it like, uh, and we'll see later on, like, and part two probably is that yep. someone would look at her the wrong way, and that's all it took. Yep, is like she she'd be she up in your of face. The song "Muck If You Buck." She is. <laughs> Can I you name that? Fight, I'm huh? going to name the episode. <laughs> yes. Go back. ahead. Go ahead. Um, but seeing Eileen's true colors, he had a restraining order put out against her. And after that, she decided to book it back to Michigan. Yep. <laughs> out of Dodge. I mean, she gets back, but she was still living her life of aggression. And she gets immediately arrested for assault. Um, and disturbing the peace after she threw a cue ball at a bartender's head. You I mean the, her life was in bars. And when you get drunk and you're around that many people, sometimes the aggression even comes out a little bit more. It, it gives you that, uh, that courage to exhibit those behaviors that she didn't even need the alcohol for. Yeah. I was writing a whole, 
<laughs> about aggression. And that's why it's so fresh in my head mm-hmm. is, and thinking about that, it's all about the, the spaces you're in. You're too. in too, right? So if, if aggression in a bar, especially she, that's common. At this point, her, her taste in bars also started to turn. It wasn't these cute little dive bars with live music. It was these more bikerish Biker bars. bars. Yeah. And so, and we also saw this is her first little soiree into kind of lesbianism. Right. Started happening around this time too. And so, in these biker bars where everyone's hyper masculine and super tough, in these mm-hmm. places where aggression is not only normalized, it's celebrated. Right. And so, if you, if you are a person who is, commonly known to be aggressive it's something that you fall into constantly being in those places is not good for you I but eileen doesn't that. leave she's like those are the places she's like this is home right i mean <laughs> and that's where kind of where it's acceptable for her to exhibit those behaviors like you said right. and no one's gonna no one's gonna judge you but for these people narked and called the cops i guess <laughs> yeah. you don't mess yeah. with the bartender yeah the bartenders you leave alone yeah, yeah you definitely leave alone anybody a patron take it outside right right like, even right. now in 2019 it's like take it outside don't break anything in this bar right. and let the neighbors call the cops right and that was July 14th of 1976 when she was arrested. And three days later, on July 17th, her brother Keith died of esophageal cancer. I was going to ruin that. I would have, I would have been like throat, throat. That's the that's the regular word. I would have been like esophageal cancer. Oh, there's a lot of things in your throat though. That's why I was. I like, know. Eh. And she actually was the beneficiary. Yeah. Of his life insurance policy, and she received ten thousand dollars in nineteen seventies money. Let me tell you about her life, though. She gets hit back to back. She gets hit with bad things, just back to back to back. So her her grandfather died, and who knows what that morning looks like. She marries this man. It goes bad. She gets arrested while she's married to this man. She has to flee because she has a restraining order. She gets arrested again after she flees, and her brother dies. Yeah, she she was dealing with a hell of a lot. I couldn't like imagine the coping skills you would have to go through just from. She doesn't have them either. And right, she the, doesn't. That's what screws she, it all up. She has no coping skills, and that's what I said earlier: no coping skills, but anger. Anger is her her outlet to cope. But just alone, like remove her arrest, she goes from her grandfather dying to a bad marriage restraining order to her brother dying. That alone, and the marriage being bad because. Her. yeah but that alone right there would drive people crazy yeah there's a lot of loss and just to point out that ten thousand dollars back in the 1970s was sixty one thousand dollars it wasn't like it that's a crap yeah. ton of money yeah, imagine what money. you're doing and what sixty thousand dollars buys you when you're performing all well, these high-risk behaviors and you're in bars and Let me tell you, she definitely didn't go to any money management classes to inform her how to deal with this money. And she sure showed it because she just spent it and spent it and spent it. Um, she inherited the money and brought a car, um, which she shortly wrecked after, like, driving drunk. She was often, she had a lot of DUIs. You know, to be honest, though, she sounds like... You know, in my 13 years, a lot of people that I work with, a lot of women offenders, mm-hmm. this is the beginnings. Like, this is it. And a lot of the stuff that she goes through in their perspective is, like, just part of their life. Mm-hmm. They don't see it the way that we see it. This is just how things are. They don't know it any other way. Like, all the back-to-back things she's dealing with, if she would have gotten help or the kind of things that we have around now for women going through this stuff early on, she could have been okay. But that's not what happens at all. You know what makes me really angry is what I should have researched for this 
is especially when in an adoption and foster care situation like she was in, mm-hmm. the Child Welfare Act I think passed in 1964, where the government like made it very clear that they had a in not only just a moral but a legal responsibility to the youth of the country. Like the children need to be protected by their from their caretakers at times. And so I'm trying to think like when they became wards of the court again, right. why was there no intervention? Because sometimes they put things in place but they don't have the funding or the proper Well the funding was there. I just I'm trying it's just was like, it's the policy policies, that has to be made. They uh, have to have places, funding. organizations that are opening. And they that's could be the fairly thing, new. Is this is Michigan. And you don't know what Michigan looks like. So every state is different. Bit. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. every state's it just seems so weird to me that all these, because usually when things are passed right away, mm-hmm. that's usually when they're the most strongly enforced. Mm-hmm. And then things get different, then they start changing things and shifting things because life changes, people um, change, demographics change. No, real social work moment right now. I'm always weary. Weary? Weary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this Haitian accent. Of how <sighs> we put a lot of... Pl- Let's, let me rephrase this. We put a lot of policies and things in place to protect children, but we don't adhere to them even now. I agree. Um, to be honest. So it's not surprising to me that even though there are policies in place, and yeah, this is when it... I mean, the same laid-back attitude we have now is probably the same laid-back attitude they had then. We even have more technology now and more ability to do for children, and we don't do enough for children. I think the difference now, though, is there is even though even though there's a lot going on in terms of culture and people keeping quiet and not minding people again, black folks minding their business. We go back all the way back right, to Michelle Blair. Right. Um, there is just so many. There's just so many more people touching. Sounds terrible. So many people crossing paths with your children now. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, you would go to school, you would come home, you really went where your parents went because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't a lot of hyperconnectivity like there is nowadays. Yeah, right. Now you go to school, you're meeting teachers, paraprofessionals. Listen, um, social media is forces you to communicate. Social media is really the downfall of children. So much trafficking alone goes on on social media. Like people find these children on social media and I traffic that I, I, I've worked with kids. That's their story. Um, so the access to your children through internet and social media is so much more like, forget just those local kids in the, you know, classroom. Yeah. And it's like internet is like, they're, they're soliciting for drugs online now. Yeah. It's just hyper. Yeah. It's just way too, way too much access. And but I feel it's that, still not an excuse. But I feel like in that, there are so many things that, get caught and get seen. Um, like I'm thinking of my own youth. Like so many things get caught because people put things on Snapchat. Right. Or and then we can you can nip a behavior in the bud. Like Absolutely. what's what's this? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, you have with that, you know? like you said, you have more eyes on it There's too. So many more people looking but at it. But I don't kid. think we've gotten to the point where and this is where, you know, we're kind of talking out of context, but it matters. Um those policies are people working for these things and to protect the kids ha- really take advantage of the access of the internet. We there's no policies are like let me go on so and so's page to see who they're interacting with, which I think needs to happen. Or let well, me that's go not on so and so's page. That, be, that becomes a that becomes a whole different animal other than policy. True, but if there's a the minor, because the government still can't ask, say we're going to monitor the specific person who doesn't pose any real threat, right? So because then that that sets precedent no, no, for no. something. Dangerous. Not monitoring. Adults monitoring kids. No, I know what you're saying, but right. that also is really a slippery slope. I mean, I think, I mean, if it's 
so hopefully in my future when I have children, I'm monitoring their use. Yeah, right? as a parent, but not if, as a legal right. Entity so or if I'm a social entity. worker coming in and helping parents deal with their troubled kids, it's probably something I would go over with the parents. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, I was like, talking. No, you no, said like no, policy. No, 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 that, was like, no, no. that implies government. No, I was like, like as far as like policies within like parenting and working with like families and in the agencies that we work for but anyways right back to eileen Warnos because <laughs> eileen. This is why you can't get us in you can't get people who do this i can't um <laughs> but in 1981 in may um eileen decide decides continues her her petty crime wave that she's got going she's living in gotham city in her head um she gets arrested right. she is back in florida, florida. Like she's like, sis, moving I'm, she's, i wish i could travel this much like sis and she gets it Right? <laughs> and she gets arrested for armed robbery. She robs a convenience store. She stole $35, which we know is not just 30 I think it was like 200 bucks. Back uh, then, yeah. And two packs of cigarettes. Uh, and she was sentenced to prison in May of 82 and released in June of 1983. Okay, these are still a lot of crimes that if she had gotten help anytime in here, the kind of help we have now for offenders... It would have been possible. Just getting for her. her into a place of self sufficiency where she wouldn't feel the need to steal to maintain her life. Right. Uh, and then, not even that. So, 11 months later, she's arrested again for check forgery right. at a bank in Key West. Uh, and then on November, <laughs> uh, about 15 months later, she was named as a suspect in a theft of a, of a, uh, Revolver. of a gun. And yeah. so, like, this, like, she just doesn't stop. And she nope. is on this path to, uh, to destruction. I mean, and she continues because in Miami, now she's arrested again for obstruction of justice, identity theft. She was using her aunt's name, apparently, mm. to get things. Um, they found a, a gun in her a car and a stolen car that she had. So it just continues and continues. 86 of June, um, you know, she gets detained. Um after like somebody she was with, I, I maybe a John, possibly, mm. um, says that she pulled a gun out on them and demanded two hundred dollars. They found her with spare ammunitions, uh, so she continues. But something happens to her shortly after this. Something life changing. This makes me so sad. Um, this is life changing. It is life changing. So there's a we talked about earlier that now at this point. That Eileen was over men. She was. She had felt victimized by men, right. used by men, uh, endangered and threatened mm-hmm. by men. Men are dangerous, which men <laughs> 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 are dangerous. Uh, and so she started uh, kind of stepping into the life of uh, same-sex love. And this is also where I want to pull over and make it very, very clear. That this is not something that you can say or uphold as an example of, see what happens? People can choose their sexual value. You can choose who you have sex with. You can 100%. There are plenty of people who aren't, who aren't gay who have sex with men for money or survival. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like in this, that there were, because she started so much earlier on mm-hmm. in it, and it was just a freedom of a, more of a, I think it's more of a sexual fluidity than it is a, mm-hmm. uh, a romantic uh, feeling until she meets this girl. And so she ends up uh, kind of being nicknamed Lee too, around these biker bars that she's frequenting now Um, because she's, she's stepping into it. She's a little bit more brass. Yes. You know, and and her appearance, she's a little bit more rugged. 
and I mean, in that, also her her line of work and her upkeep. Yeah, of it, it starts to wear on yeah, you a little yeah. bit. Uh, but in 1986, she meets the 24 year old uh, Tyra Moore mm-hmm. at a gay bar in Daytona, Florida, and they begin this really uh, kind of codependent, uh, toxic, intense, yeah, just visceral relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you could just tell that she was drawn to kind of like Eileen's, like, not give a damnism. She was just like right. this. There's something, and we all, we, it's basically loving the bad boy. She mm-hmm. loved the bad girl. Like, this is like, wow, who are you? What are you? Like, you are amazing. It's nothing I would do. Right. This is not, you know, Eileen is not somebody you're with if you want a, a standard issue boring life. There's all stuff going. She's, she, and she has this little, like, protection over tyra like i'm gonna take care of you she was prostituting um well sex working to uh just my notes and like the way people still like and i'm like couples. people get so mad at me when i correct them when they're like use the word prostitute i'm like sex work no it's, it's very, sex work it's but I, you see what it is like when i'm sometimes i just copy paste little things and i'll reword them and yeah. then i like i I never catch that word. I should like probably do that and like make it all change. Um, but yeah, she was doing sex work to support Tyra. And I mean, I feel like though, let me pull over. Tyra did not want her to do the sex work when she found out that she was continuing sex work to, um, take care. Cause Tyra said this herself. Now right. I don't know how true it is out like in the moment and now when she's doing interviews right but tyra said she did not want her to do sex work it was dangerous she was fearful of her you know safety and when she found out she tried to have them stop but they were struggling so she went back in it like there was this whole i mean i don't know for sure but she yeah. continued the sex work to There's take care a- of tyra but i mean i think she was using tyra as a permission to continue the sex work sex work because you were gonna sis you were doing it before anyways Right, and there's and there's nothing about uh, the introduction of Tyra into your life that dramatically changed your right. This your is the same financial behaviors. situation, yeah. your living situation, um, and there's a lot of violence that continued to happen around Tyra and Eileen as it went on. Police had detained uh, Eileen and Tyra at a bar uh, because someone was accused of beating someone with a beer bottle. Um, uh, someone. <laughs> Uh, she accused a bus driver of pushing her off a bus following an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that happened, and I I totally believe that Eileen got physical with this bus driver, and the bus oh, driver absolutely. pushed her off the bus and said, "Get absolutely. off my bus." Also, in a we have to remember that a bus driver is kind of responsible for the rest of the passengers. So if there's this one violent person, aggressive person, but you got to go. Yeah, definitely, bus drivers don't have to take your shit. No, no, they don't. No, they do no, not. They don't. I'm I'm remember I'm reminded of. Um, well, that, that ended horribly, actually. That's not a good example. Remember the, I think it's in Canada. It might have been Toronto, or I might not be Toronto, but there was a guy who ends up like decapitating someone on a bus. You remember that? No. That true crime case? No. Well, it's a we're crime. Gonna, we're going to do it. <laughs> um, I'm into it. Because that person got out of jail and is now a free, because they, were, they weren't even in jail. They went, to a, they went to a mental health institution for X amount of years, and due to some loophole in law, they're walking around, for, like right now. No, I'm They're good. Walking in Canada, around free. No, I'm, I'm good. Um, Stay away from Canada, right? <laughs> uh, but Tyra actually um, began to become burdened by Eileen's temper too. Not mm-hmm. just the the line of work she was in, but the fact that this impulsive behavior mm-hmm. um, was starting to be an emotional weight. Right. Um, but she stayed, mm-hmm. and I think that finally, uh, like a little over thirty years old, now Eileen is 
she's connected to someone. She has this right. feeling of family, companionship. Right. And there's a safety in it because not Tyra is not actively act asking Eileen for anything right. other than just herself, right? right? And so in fall uh, 1989... Eileen had lived so many lives. And remember how I mentioned before, like this fast-paced day-to-day life isn't healthy or it's not sustainable. And it started to show with Eileen. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the line of work, alcohol, drugs, Mm -hmm. late nights. Her appearance started to suffer because of it. And because of that, her client numbers started to drop and the money she brought in started to drop. Mm -hmm. And Tyra's only working per diem, cleaning motel rooms. So money became tight. And Eileen, you mentioned permissions earlier. So Eileen be, was, became terrified of losing who she called her wife now. Right. Because of the strain in the relationship. So she makes a very, very rash decision in this. And that she's going to go above and beyond just sleeping with men for money. Right. But she's actually going to take everything. Right. From them. And she, she does this. We, we do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to hit the first. And so November 30th, 1989, mm-hmm. uh, Eileen is picked up by an electronics repairman. He's 51 years old. His name is Richard Rich. Mallory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they agree, as sex workers do, to have sex in exchange for money. Mm-hmm. And so they park in the car in the woods off I-95, and they drink and they chat. And I, <laughs> and when I was when I was reading this and hearing this, I think it's so strange that there, it might have been uh Richard's first time with a with a sex worker. Um maybe. he was on his he was on his way to a whole weekend and he was he was going to party. Mm. Um so maybe this was his first time really letting loose and he didn't understand how it went. Like maybe so you still like but there's this so they talked until the sun came up. So according really, to Eileen. That's a lot of chatting. Right. And I'm <laughs> sure Eileen, if this was not going and horribly was charging by the hour. Um <laughs> But then, while the, while they were finally seeing the kind of sun coming up, and they realized how early slash late it is. Eileen pulls out a twenty two, and shoots him four times in the chest and back. She rifles through his things, finding anything valuable, including a camera, a gold watch, um, and she drops his body in the woods, a little ways off, and covers him in a carpet she also found in right. the woods. So in the picture I painted, I painted this like the like those drop zones in woods that you find yeah. like trash. Yeah. And she covered him with the carpet and she found in the woods and she drove the car back to the motel that they were, Tyra and her were staying in. And she drunkenly, remember, she drove drunk. She was drunk when this yeah. all went down and confesses to Tyra what she's done. And they leave, immediately abandon their room. They don't even check out. And she wipes the car of fingerprints. She dumps his belongings in one place and buries them in the, a little bit in the sand and abandons the car a ways away. Right. And two days later in Volusia County, uh, a deputy sheriff's department found Mallory's abandoned vehicle. And about two weeks later, on December 13th, uh, Mallory's decomposed body was found several miles away mm-hmm. um, in the woods. And there were no leads. Nope. Uh, Tyron never told the police what she knew. No. Uh, but in the documentary I watched, Tyra made a comment on this saying that she figured that if she just did this, she would have, quote unquote, gotten it out of her system. And this would be the end of it. And mm-hmm. you'll find out how wrong Tyra was so on wrong. part two. Yeah. <laughs> so wrong. Tyra. She, 
It was, it's in, it's intense. Like it, it gets intense. you have to think about these attachments that people form with these really volatile, aggressive, dangerous people. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is because you're afraid of what they'll do to you. Right. I mean, at this point, okay. So I'm with somebody and I found out they murdered somebody. I think I, I would try to flee only because of my own safety. You know what I'm saying? But right. some people like, that's not my initial response to any situation is flight. Like, I have that. I don't have the fight response. So That's all I had growing up. You know, I am a flight. I'm out. Um, if I have to, I'll deal with the situation. Like, if I'm confronted and I have to in anything. But my first thing is, like, avoid avoidance behavior is my thing. It's not me. I avoid. I avoid. I didn't grow up in a house. You know? <laughs> I grew up in the projects. I and... mean, it's, it's still, but, like, not the proper way to do it. No, it's though. not. I'm not condoning <laughs> extreme violence but i think it's i do think it's really funny how people are how people are wired given their experiences yeah no even like avoidance is not because it gets out of hand it it gets out of hand yeah like nothing gets resolved but for me like i grew up in this very traumatic environment and these traumatic experiences so again my body overreacts even to this day like you walk up to on me and touch me like my first instinct is to be like oh thanks for this backwards hug it's like who is this? Like, it's this immediate, like, I need to, like, fend for myself. And so, for me, like, if someone came up to me and said, hey, babe, totally murdered somebody, I'd be like, okay, so you are now officially a threat, and I'm sizing you up. Like, can I beat you up here? And then oh, get no, the cops? I'm out. I am like, out. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, out. yeah, baby. Let me just, um, I'm going to go to the grocery store. You want some cheese or something <laughs> Yeah, be right yeah, in the car. You see like, how you you see how there's talking in your conversation. I'm not even talking. I'm walking away. I'm like, oh, go to bed like it's regular, and then I'm out. next morning he wake up. I'm gone. You, it's gonna be some enough stuff where they're gonna, <laughs> where you they you go to leave. I'm like, where are you going? Oh, I'm thirsty. He gonna get up like, well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it does become that. Follow you to the kitchen and stuff. Well, like you just go to work like it's a regular day, and then all of a sudden end up in the police station. He don't need to know. Baby, I called you three times. I, I would pick up. It's always some station. SVU stuff. Like, we can keep you safe and no one ever keeps anybody safe in SVU. No, so. I would drop a bomb and leave, too. I'm not staying around for all that. I'm out. I'm just saying. I'm out. follow you, it's dangerous. <laughs> anyway, that's part one. Eileen Warnos. Part two, we're going to dive in to the uh, other murders that happened. Mathers. Because, unfortunately, she did not get it out of her system. Not at all. Uh... But that's it. We'll be back next. Check out next Monday for that. Mm-hmm. D, if people were to look for you on the internet, where would they find you? They would find me in D underscore Isa 4. You got to spell that. D-E-E underscore I-S-A 4. And that's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm an Instagram girl because I don't want to talk to y'all unless I'm watching Game of Thrones. Even then. So I am on the interwebs, all the timelines. It's at Charnel B. It's C-H-A-R-N-E-I-L-B. If you don't know how to spell it by now, get with it. Um, and that's Instagram, that's Twitter, that's Snapchat. That's probably other that's things. Everything. Um, it's probably like my yearbook. Um, Mebo, Uvu, Stickam, all these things. I don't, I don't know. These things. Uh, but check, check us out there. Check out the podcast on Instagram, Twitter. At what did you do pod? Check us out on Facebook. Join the what did you crew? It's always fun to see I you love guys the in crew. As do I. A lot. I love seeing you guys talk about your life. Shout out to oh my god, I'm gonna forget her name. She oh, had the baby. Yeah, she had the baby. I'm she had the baby, too. and I'm gonna pull it up right now. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make some music for y'all. Do it. Shout out to Regina Williams. There, there we is. go. There it is. Who had a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baby, uh, baby girl, 
and had some awesome, really nice things to say about us. Yes, and it gave me all the feels at yeah, work. Like, I was oh, at you work. helped I was us like, get, help me get through this tough time. I'm like, you better shut up. Like, <laughs> I'm at work. <laughs> but that was so, so sweet of you to say thank you. So I'm so glad that we can offer some some fun, some joy, and some yeah. information into yeah. your life. And it's so cute. Her daughter's middle name is D. Yeah. And it wasn't even intentional. Love it. Love it. You see how the world works. Yeah, but she had a really rough. I guess she was a and she was an emergency C section. Yeah. It was eleven so days. We're glad straight. you're okay. So I'm so glad like, you came out on the other side. Your right. daughter is adorable. Right. It and makes um, it always makes me want an infant, and then I hear them cry and poop, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so here's mind. the thing: infants bored me. I'm all about that toddler life. When they start talking, everyone's like, "What's wrong with you?" But I love toddlers. That's when my nephews and nieces stop being my favorite. Once they start forming sentences, I go to the next oh, one. Oh, I really love them at that age. I live and die. They're starting to like. Form sentences, become self-aware. They want their own authority. They're like, no, no. I love it. I just love it. I play along with it. It's fun to see that kind of development happen. Won't be me. I'm <laughs> going to adopt a nine-year-old and we're going to go from there. <laughs> and if I decide to have anyone any, adopt any others or if me and whoever I marry, if I get married, decide to... Mm-hmm. S- sorry, that's so expensive. Never mind. I'm not adopting yeah. a, a baby. You're not going to go surrogate like Kim? Why would I do things like Kim? I'm just going to do it like me. But <laughs> wow, no, it wouldn't be that. But other than that, shout out to you, Regina, and everybody else who's in the crew. You guys are amazing. You guys are awesome. Also, Allison Irene Weber, uh, she has shared this really cool link. Uh, Haley Bowman. Um, it was like true crime meets fashion. It's pretty, some pretty sick stuff. I, I, didn't, I didn't get, I'm oh, kind of I saw it. it. I saw it. I saw it quickly, but I have no service at work, so I can't socialize during the she day. She says that. But D will text me about things all the time. Listen, it's hard. Listen, it's easy for a message, but when you're trying to load a whole page in the woods, yo, it's difficult. That's I know what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys so much for sharing yourselves and sharing so many fun like articles and stuff. Yes. I love it. I, I know too. we're rambling now, but we always like to get the sweet stuff out at the end because if you don't, people will complain that we just want you to get to the case. <laughs> and it's like, but that's not why you're here. No, like that's not, if you want. There's Dateline. There's, t- there's Dateline is 48 hours. <laughs> um, if you want to go that route, there's a lot of other just f- completely factual, non-opinionated uh, pieces of true crime things that you could listen to. But if you're here, you came for all my love. I don't even know if it's love, but if you came here, you know that you want our rapport and you want our talking. So, And because we, we genuinely give a damn about yeah. people who listen to this show. We do. and. Uh, Regina, we're going to get you a little onesie for yep. a little one, even yep. if you don't put it on her. Just don't. I mean, it's hot outside. It's going to get hot outside, so I don't know where you live, but if you're going to bring it to a barbecue, just have the blood splattered onesie on and wait for people to ask questions. <laughs> I think that's great promo in like a grocery store. Just walk your baby through with blood splattered onesie. It's like, um, your baby <laughs> is listening to the newest episode of What Did You Do? You should find it on SoundCloud. But speaking of that, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, XM Spoke, um, Stitcher, all those places. Yeah, don't forget Stitcher. I bet it will cry. Yeah, but (laughs) bye guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you in seven days. Yes, litters. Bye.